Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we are back again today with weekly roundup number 22. Number 22 of the season. That means we're getting real late in the season. Daylight savings time has ended. And we are back again to bring you some more news here. Uh, a jam-packed show. We're going to be talking about Travis Scott and Astroworld talking about the police, the Ahmad Aubrey trial, and the Kyle Rittenhouse trials. We have a lot of stuff to get to. And of course, I'm always joined with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we're excited to bring you another edition of our news style uh, show here called Weekly Roundup number 22. So if you're new or if you're a past listener, welcome back and let's get into the show. So to start off, we're going to go uh, to Houston again. And I mentioned Travis Scott. So there was a, a massive tragedy down in Houston. Um, Houston's KHOU and the Associated, Repres- and the Associated Press have reported that at least eight people have died and there were hundreds of other injuries that occurred during rapper Travis Scott's uh, solo set to end the first night of the Astroworld Festival. And this happened last Friday. So Houston Fire Chief uh, Samuel Pena said, quote, the crowd began to compress towards the front of the stage and that caused some panic and it started causing some injuries. He said, quote, people began to fall out, become unconscious and it created additional panic and uh, a lawyer for Travis Scott has admitted yesterday that there was a systemic breakdown at the Delhi Astroworld Festival. And they also said the rapper was unaware that the concert had been declared a mass casualty incident while he was on stage performing last Friday in Houston. And just to add on to this story, we just got word yesterday that a 22 year old college student who was critically injured during the crush, the, the rush of the fans at the stage has now died. Uh, the family's the family's lawyer announced this on Thursday, uh, and this brings the death toll uh, from the Astroworld tragedy to nine. Uh, the, the student, uh, the person who just passed away, the college student, was set to graduate from Texas A&M University in the spring. Um, and so, again, just a real tragedy here. And there is going to be some repercussions for Travis Scott and his team. Um, our man here, Adrian, attorney Ben Crump, back at it again. We've talked about him numerous times during the season, but he's back. Uh, he has announced he will be filing more than 90 additional legal claims on behalf of victims of the Astroworld tragedy. Um, and the new case is a significant escalation to an already sprawling litigation over this incident. Uh, again, like I say, it has left nine people dead and hundreds of more injured. So we're looking at 79 cases have already been filed in Houston court as of Thursday. And that's representing more than 150 victims or families of those who are deceased. So uh, just a real tragedy, Adrian, that happened at Astroworld. And, you know, it's it's sad to see it. But, of course, like I said, there are definitely going to be some repercussions for uh, Travis Scott and his team. You're right, Devin. I saw another article that talked about how the festival was severely understaffed and they didn't have enough resources there to really do crowd control like they needed at a time like this. So thoughts and prayers, good vibes, whatever you believe to the families who lost loved ones. And definitely um, kind of kind of like Devin said, expect something as a result out of this. But to move to another story, wanted to talk about uh, Ben and Jerry co-founders. They're talking about policing and, 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 and for black people. So it's really, really good story. I always say anytime you can find white people talking about racism, it's always a, a positive, you know, you know, some wokeness, I guess. But in a new op-ed piece for USA Today, the founders of B&J Ice Cream began the piece by emphatically writing, 
When police abuse black people, it's not a black problem, it's a white problem. While black people bear the brunt of police brutality, it's white people who allow this racism to continue, they wrote. The ice cream maker said that the police chiefs around the United States are overwhelmingly white, adding that the people we pay to protect and serve are killing and brutalizing black people before our very eyes, and we're letting them get away with it. They noted that as white men, their mothers taught, rather, uh, as white men, their mothers, quote, taught us to, uh, taught us that the police were our friends, adding black mothers have no choice but to teach their children to fear the police. The op-ed ended by saying that the founders basically have a vision, almost like an MLK vision, uh, that one day black children can see police officers as a positive light if white people use their power to hold rogue cops accountable. Devin, that's a good message here. It's it's really nice that they're calling attention to this. You know, Ben and Jerry's, I love them for their ice cream. I also love them because they actually stand up for social issues. They're like a social enterprise and really trying to use their position to try to advance different issues. So it's good that, you know, they're doing this. And they're bringing some attention to an important issue because we've, you know, had all the black, you know, senators get together and supposedly it's supposed to sit down and come up with some police reform, but we don't have anything. We keep getting people who are frustrated by this idea of getting rid of qualified immunity. And here we are still um, at a place where we haven't rectified the wrongs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the frustration, you know, that that we saw spill over during the, the George Floyd protests last year. I mean, there is an absolute frustration that things just aren't changing. And even if you don't necessarily agree with, you know, what uh, the Ben and Jerry uh, founders said, you can at least appreciate, I appreciate the bluntness of the message of saying, you know, you cannot just automatically do what most people in this country do is automatically blame the person on the other end of the police brutality saying you didn't act correctly. You didn't respect the police officer. You were acting. Of course, everybody has some responsibility. But when you see a man get a knee on his neck for eight minutes in the middle of the street, at what point do we have to be honest to say we still have a problem? Now, it's not the 60s. No, it's not the 50s. And it's not that era. But we still do have problems with how police officers treat and police black communities. And so it just that does not mean you're woke by admitting that that is a problem. And so we just have to be honest and have these conversations bluntly just stating that this is a problem. And it's not on just black people to fix it, which is how it has been for so long this this will take white america coming to the table to say okay we are we're part of the problem too and we're here to actually be a good faith partner to actually try to fix it and i think that's all that we really want at this point we just want to see some action done like you say congress has not really done it for us so hopefully we can keep applying pressure we need more people like the ben and jerry founders to speak out and call these issues out um, it, it would be nice if we had somebody like, say, maybe a president, you know. Well, you know. <laughs> it would be nice if we had somebody like that who was supposed to be on our side, you know, supposedly fighting for our issues, um, giving us some rewards for us, you know, essentially um, rebooting his campaign. Um, essentially. It was, was dying. It was on his last leg until South Carolina. <laughs> Um, you would just think that there would be some of those things. Because, Devin, I believe we mentioned it last week, or maybe I sent you a picture 
uh, talking about a CNN poll. I think we talked about it. Talking about yeah. the poll that uh, Biden is not paying attention to the issues. I mean, this is like um, you know low hanging fruit. Yeah. with police. It, it should be, but it, I mean, it it just shows the attitude is not there. You know that we they just haven't seen enough. We haven't done enough in our community to make it a national issue, and and not only to not make it a national issue just during election season. It has to be an issue all the time. And maybe I, they see it as a black problem still. Maybe they, and, maybe, again, they need to, maybe they need to be you know they need to read this op ed. Exactly. That's that's part of the problem. White America has to come to the table and not you know have some tough skin. And and take the criticism and and you know actually come to the table and not be so offended and say oh you're just calling all of us racist for not supporting you and that's not what's happening here but um, we'll we'll move on from that story of course if anything ever happens with police reform on a national level <laughs> we'll bring you that but we'll go to uh, Flint Michigan we give you an update on here on this story so as you all know the Flint water crisis um, as far as we know has now finally been taken care of, but residents of Flint, Michigan have finally gotten some compensation for what they actually went through. Um, so now a judge has approved a settlement that will distribute over $600 million to people affected by this avoidable disaster. And the key word there is avoidable because it was. Uh, the, lead, the, lead, um, the lead in the water actually poses the most risk to children particularly young children whose nervous systems are developing rapidly. And according to a report, adding the necessary water treatment would have cost about $80 to $100 per day. And officials apparently never intended to do so. They didn't even install the equipment needed to add the compound. So it just shows, again, a multi-level failure here by the city of Flint, the state, and local governments to not protect the people of Flint and give them good water. We They knew that this was an issue. They were trying to be cheap and save some money by switching the city's water source. But thankfully now, Adrian, Flint, as far as, like, again, as far as we know, Flint has clean water. And now they're getting some much, you know, deserved compensation for what they went through. Absolutely. Really good. I, I was performing a concert on campus uh, for our choir department. And one of the other choirs that performed did a concert or rather did a piece in tribute to Flint. And that's what made me think about it. So definitely thankful that these families got, you know, some resolution. Obviously, it doesn't make up for lead poisoning, but I'm glad they have some some reparations, I guess. To move us to another story here, this is out of Salt Lake City where family and supporters gathered Tuesday to honor the memory of a 10-year-old autistic black girl who died by suicide after report uh, after reporting bullying at her Utah elementary school, local station KUTV in Salt Lake City reports. Isabella Izzy Technor died on Saturday. The fifth grader's family alleges the kid, uh, kids in her class constantly targeted the girl for bullying. Uh, a federal investigation of the Dallas School District found a pattern of ignoring complaints of racial harassment. The U.S. Department of Justice issued a report, looks like about two years ago, that condemned the school district mishandling of reports racism, according to the Salt Lake City Tribune. Investigators found that the district administrators intentionally ignored serious and widespread racial harassment for years. At the predominantly white school district in North Salt Lake, Utah, Kids of color were allegedly called slaves, the N-word, and heard threats of getting lynched. 
The black families complained that teachers ignored racist taunting even when they witnessed it. You know, it's <laughs> it's one of those situations where I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I feel like, you know, when you go to the West, you know, the West part of the country, it's a little bit more progressive, especially when you have a metropolitan area like Salt Lake City that most people are a little bit more, you know, uh, progressive, you know, to a certain degree. But we have to be reminded that maybe this was a community, like you said, predominantly white school district. Well, it seems like a lot of the times when you are in a community where you don't have enough diversity, you don't have enough interaction with other minority groups, you build up this sort of mindset that, you know, we're superior and you're inferior. Um, and I see that a lot because even my um, my uh, manager, her, um, she was telling me about her husband who grew up in a predominantly white mm-hmm. area. And she's like, I'm not going to call him racist, but he has some tendencies and it was just like that's just because of how he grew up and where he was raised which was a predominantly white place and this is just terrible because this is what happens when you ignore it you have people who um who you know when you when you ignore it, when you have this couple with us ignoring mental health you have suicides and things like this so i hope we can finally address this at some point Devin. i know i mean it's you just get tired of hearing these tragic stories like this uh bullying is still a problem in our schools and you just gotta really wonder to be 10 years old and want to take your own life think about the things that you had to go through like you felt as though there was nowhere else for you to turn at the age of 10 because of what was happening to you at school and the bullying and the name calling and just all these other things going on it's just a failure on all levels. The adults around her failed her. I'm not calling her family out, but the administrators and everything. Um, we still have a problem. You know, we still have issues in this country and and they reported it and these things were ignored. And this is just the same thing. Like you say, you would think as you go further west, it gets, you know, more progressive. But even as we saw when we talked with uh, Chris, Chris Rachel, the superintendent of education in Washington, it, it you know, the, the discrimination and the racism exists all over this country, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's happening. And we have to be, uh, you know, focused on trying to fix these issues. And it's just sad to see that this was even happening while the administrators knew what was going on. You know, and it's just sad to see we had to lose a young life like that because, you know, the administrators were, you know, just didn't believe what they were saying and just ignored it. And it cost somebody their life. And I hope they get every penalty they can get, you know, from the Justice Department and anyone else who investigates. It's just a sad, tragic story. And you just get tired of seeing things like this. It's like, at what point does the country wake up and say, we need to do something about this? We're all human. We all live in the same country. And it's just, you know, it's just a sad story. It is, Devin. And it's one of those things to where at some point you want to say that you believe and humanity being better and us getting to a better place. And at other points, I'm just, I'm not so much sure on, but, um, you know, we'll kind of, you know, you know, we'll we'll leave it at that. We hope that we can have (laughs) a better solution. Absolutely. Yes. But we'll move on. Um, We have a couple more stories here. Uh, Quickly. So there was a, a black former employee of us bank who worked for the company for two dozen years 
is now suing them. He's alleging racism and the practice of discriminatory redlining. Um, So his name is John Spann. He's 55, and he stated in his lawsuit uh, that co-workers use racial slurs like the N-word, but he also also accused the company of purposely not giving loans uh, to African-Americans and Hispanics. And he claims that depending on the applicant's last name, that loans were denied regardless of their credit score. He said, quote, if the name sounded Hispanic or if the name sounded Muslim, they would turn that deal down or wouldn't even look at that deal. After being fired a year ago, he's now suing U.S. Bank, and he says his claims go beyond discrimination. The federal complaint accuses Span's manager at the bank of setting him up to fail by creating and giving him a car dealership territory encompassing Chicago's south side and suburbs and mostly predominantly minority communities. So this is the kind of stuff, Adrian, that affects the community now, but also 20, 30 years down the road when you deny people those those types of loans that they could use to get a home or a car and things that can let them get a, a leg up in life. These are the things that we're talking about when we say this country still has problems. This is not 1960. This is 2021. And and Mr. Spann here is telling you that these things are still a problem. Yeah, Devlin, it's it's sad. It's you know from from the redlining to set him up to fail. And listeners, that that's really just talking about you know if you're working in a predominantly minority community and you're a you know a banker or you're trying to get money out of people who don't really have good incomes, it's really hard to do that if your bank puts you in nothing but a territory like that. So that's what he was talking about. So it's. It's sad to see that. But to leave us on a happy note, there's a high school teacher out of Maryland that was honored with a $1 million global teacher prize. Her name is Akeisha Thorpe. Uh, She won the award. She's 42 for her work in mentoring and making college accessible for kids who are first-generation Americans, immigrants, or refugees, according to a report from NBC News. And she herself is an immigrant from Jamaica. So awesome story to kind of end our first segment here. We've got plenty more news to get to listeners, so stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our second segment of news here, and we're going to start with our quick updates. Um, so first off, we brought you the story of uh, Raiders coach John Gruden, but now we are bringing you an update to his story uh, where he is now suing. He has now announced he is suing Commissioner Roger Goodell and the NFL, alleging that a malicious and orchestrated campaign was used to destroy Gruden's career by leaking old emails he had sent that included racist, misogynistic, and homophobic comments. Um, In response to this, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy denied the charges, and he says the allegations are entirely meritless, and the NFL will vigorously defend against these claims. So, of course, we'll let you know where that case goes in that story. Our second quick update is going to be here about um, the Great Resignation. We talked about this in one of our past episodes, but it looks like it is continuing Um, In September, Americans quit their jobs at a record pace, and this is the second straight month after August. And so the Labor Department said Friday that 4.4 million people quit their jobs in September, or about roughly 3% of the nation's workforce. 
That is up from the 4.3 million in August that quit their jobs. And that is far above the pre-pandemic level of 3.6 million. And as of September, there were about 10.4 million job openings. That is down from 10.6 million in August, which was revised higher. Uh, So Adrian, again, that great resignation, it's it's got a lot of steam to it, it seems like. And, um, you know, I'm not in that just yet, but, you know, things could change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I I guess technically I was a part of that um, because I resigned from my position and now I'm in school. And it's it's a tough situation, but um, I'm glad to see that we're at least somewhat better. I think you know once the pandemic kind of goes down a little bit more, we'll we'll get we'll get there. But it seems like cases are starting to pop up here and there sporadically. But to move to another story, this is interesting uh, one for you listeners. It makes me think maybe if we all did this collectively, maybe it could get something done. But individually, I'm not sure. Radio host Joe Madison says he's going on a hunger strike until Congress passes a voting rights bill. The claim host of Sirius XM Urban View made the announcement on his website in reaction to Senate Republicans blocking the beginning of debate on a voting rights act named after late civil rights icon and Congressman John Lewis. Quote, as a political protest, I am beginning a hunger strike today by abstaining from eating any solid food until Congress passes and President Biden signs the Freedom to Vote Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, as said on his website. Quote, and I repeat, just as food is necessary to sustain life, to sustain life, the right to vote is necessary to sustain democracy. So, bold decision, Devin. Um, I think he's just going to be hungry for a while. Yeah. He's just going to be on this, on this little hunger strike for, for too long because I don't think Senate Republicans are going to budge. But, again, if there can be some sort of collective effort to protest and get more people on board, you know, hey, this is another way to protest. Possibly, I would just say he better start go buy. He better go start buying some some smaller clothes because he's definitely gonna lose some weight. Because after what happened last Tuesday with the Virginia race and the New York, uh, the New Jersey governor's race, twenty twenty is twenty two is not looking good as far as getting that passed. <laughs> Maybe that's why he said just solid food. Maybe he's gonna just be there's a caveat up in there. That's right because he knows it's gonna be a long a long road ahead. Oh yes. <laughs> But we'll move on from uh, the hunger strike, and we're going to go to the Ahmad Aubrey case. So we wanted to give you an update about this. Um, according to CNN, defense attorney Kevin Goh has objected to the presence of Reverend Al Sharpton at the trial as he sat in the courtroom to support Aubrey's family after leading a prayer service. Uh, Kevin Goh said, quote, if we're going to start a precedent starting yesterday where we're going to bring high profile members of the African community into the courtroom to sit with the family during the trial in the presence of the jury. I believe that's intimidating and it's an attempt to pressure. He said, uh, the judge said though, he was aware of Sharpton's presence and had no objections as long as there weren't any uh, disruptions. He said, uh, Kevin go, the defense attorney also went on to say, we don't want any more black pastors coming in here, here um, or other Jesse Jackson who was in here earlier this week, sitting with the families, a victim's family, trying to influence a jury in this case. So 
Uh, Adrian, this case is going to be watched meticulously by everybody around the country, but interesting comments here. He's thinking, you know, Reverend Sharpton being there, Jesse Jackson making an appearance. I mean, these are heavy hitters, names that we all know. He's thinking this is an attempt to maybe influence the jury or intimidate them because they are so well known in our community. Um, sounds like he might be a little afraid of of what could be coming for his, his client. Um, I think it's just kind of a last, you know, you're kind of flailing. You'll try anything as a defense attorney if you know your client is probably guilty. And in this case, I, at least in my opinion, they, they are for what they did to Ahmad and they deserve what they should get. Um, but, you know, interesting comments <laughs> from the defense attorney. Interested indeed. You know, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think we were reported on this, but the jury is mainly white. I think it's only it like one black person. I, I wonder of those 11 white people, how many of them really know who Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson <laughs> and, you know, That's Ben Crump, even if they came in. Like, I just wonder, like, if, if, if do they really know who they are? Obviously, the defense attorney does because, yeah. you know, he's well-versed, but you know, you've got to. I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if white people consider these people high-profile members of their community. They're high-profile members of our community. So, I mean, I, I get the argument he's saying is that maybe it's going to turn the case into a bigger national uh, case, but it already is. I mean, yeah. you got people who gun down somebody who was just jogging. Uh, I mean, it's 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 already a, a really big case. I mean, it's you know, white guys shooting a black guy who didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's just it's already a big case. It's already going to have a lot of people looking at it to have, like Devin said, listeners some justice and some resolution out of this. So, you know, let us know what you think. You know, we always love some thoughts and comments, but. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think black pastors being there is going to sway the jury. I think, you know, if if justice did its job, the jury is supposed to be unbiased anyway. So that's true. <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> but to take us to another little, I guess you could say, case update. This is uh, LeBron James weighing in on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Uh, LeBron James weighed in on the. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't. I didn't read this, um, and whoever wrote it was was, was funny. But uh, LeBron James weighed in on the apparent crocodile tears uh, that Kyle Rittenhouse shed during his murder trial uh, at the Kenosha at the Kenosha County Courthouse on Wednesday. The Los Angeles Lakers star retweeted the clip by USA Today cap, uh, caption. Kyle Rittenhouse broke down in tears at his murder trial while on the witness stand as he described the events of August 25, 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin. James responded to the clip with, what tears? A lot of question marks. I didn't see one. Man knocked it off. Uh, man knocked it off. That boy ate some lemon heads before walking to the court. Uh, <laughs> adding crying, laughing emojis. Uh, one Twitter user reacted to Rittenhouse's performance with, Quote, there was no tears, just bad acting, do better reporting. Um, I saw him crying, and I was, I mean, I wouldn't be swayed by the tears. I'd be like, man, you shot some people. Like, you know, their family should be the one crying. You're just crying because you see that, you know, there's a possibility that you could be in jail. Like, I mean, that's what you're crying about. So I'm glad LeBron called him out. 
Yeah, I ain't buy it. I didn't buy it at all. <laughs> it was a great performance, though. A for effort on that one, but I didn't. I didn't buy it at all. You could say I'm biased, whatever you want, but there's no way anybody watched that and thought that was <laughs> thought that was real. But we'll move on uh, from the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and we'll move to the McDonald's CEO. So he's in some hot water after some text messages that he sent to the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so community activists and union leaders in Chicago are demanding McDonald's CEO Chris Kempczynski, uh to, st- to sit down with black and brown workers and address systemic racism in response to his reported text message that they say is ignorant, racist and unacceptable. Now, this text message was, was part of his exchange with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, this was back in April, a day after the fatal shooting of a seven year old black girl. Jaslyn uh, Adams while in a McDonald's drive through with her father in the city's west side. And so the McDonald's CEO, uh, Chris Kimzinski, was texting with the mayor of Chicago to thank her for visiting the company's Chicago-based headquarters and wrote to her that the recent shootings were, quote, tragic. And then he added, with both, the parents failed those kids, which I know is something you can't say, even harder to fix, end quote. And so in an open letter signed by a dozen groups last week, uh, Kim Zinski was given a Wednesday deadline to meet with employees and community leaders in Chicago. So, um, Adrian, this is kind of the conversation we've been having about the things going on in our communities and what other people, how do they perceive them when you talk about folks who are, you know, in the white community or in this case, CEO of a, of a global company. Um, on its face, it doesn't seem like what he said is that bad. I mean, he said the parents failed them, but we've talked about this. It's easy to boil these things down and just lay it at the feet of the parents in the community when there are other things going on. It's the fault of the local government. It's the fault of the federal government, state government. I mean, trust me, there's enough blame to go around. And, you know, he didn't call out the governor of Illinois or, or even Lori Lightfoot for that matter, because as we know, there are a lot of things that are out of the control of the parents in these communities. They no nobody, you know, wakes up and says, "I want to raise a kid in a bad neighborhood," and you know, send them off to a bad school, and and have them sell drugs on the street and eventually get shot and killed, and and lose their life at a young age. Nobody wants that, and there are just a lot of things you have to ignore to get to the conclusion that the parents failed those kids. Um, and say something like that. So I think it was just, you know, extremely insensitive. And he should sit down with these groups to maybe get a better understanding, but also put some money behind that, too, if you're going to be talking to the CEO of McDonald's. I think that's what we want to see. We're tired of sitting down with people. That's that's cool. Put out a statement. We need dollars that are going to the people in the community. You know, that's true. It's, <laughs> it's just, that's just how it is. It's just true. It's, and honestly, to, you know, I don't really know how I feel about uh, Lori Lightfoot. You know, I feel like she's questionable. <laughs> like a lot of things that her, about her, um, you know, her administration has just been like you know, hit or miss kind of situations. And this one was, you know, for the mayor, uh, for McDonald's CEO, you know, Chris um, Krasinski. Um, I mean, I get where he was coming from, but it's like, it's like, it's the same thing that white America always does. You know, it's, it's super surface level. It's just like, 
without really digging into the root causes of the problem, it's like, well, it's just, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, let's blame you know, the parents. <laughs> and it's just like, just blame the parents. Y'all aren't doing what you're supposed to do. Y'all aren't, you know, working enough to provide, you know, uh, safety and, and shelter and food and teaching your kids right. It's it's so easy, I feel like, for, for privileged people to, to say that. And I, I'm sure even privileged black people probably say stuff like that. But actually, I, I take that back. I have heard privileged black people say that when I lived in Los Angeles. Um, but it's not that simple just to say that, you know, it's some, it's the parents fault because for Chris knows those parents can have two and three jobs. I mean, they may not even, you know, they they may be having to work so hard to make ends meet that they don't have enough face time with their kids, or there might even be a situation in that community where there are no programs for kids to do after school. There are no Maybe there's a lot of crime, you know, obviously if someone's, you know, getting fatally shot, mm-hmm. there's, there's something going on. So, I mean, there's, there's more issues than just, you know, the parents failed the kids. I mean, you know, Chris has the money to, you know, if he's wanting to really do something about, you know, helping the parents, uh, he's got the money and the resources yeah. to help the parents. So. And so does McDonald's. They've got yeah, plenty, <laughs> plenty of money. I hope they put you know put their money where their mouth is. Uh, don't apologize. He's already given an apology, but that's you can do a lot better than that. You know, yeah. <laughs> you got money and resources. But um, to end us off, this is a story about Missy Elliott. Uh, if you like her music, she's good. She's really good. Grammy Award winning artist Missy Elliott received a star on the Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame. Rapper called out her hometown and her fans for their support along her journey. She's also joined by some others who represent and accept the star, like Lizzo and Sierra. So uh, I just wanted to end on a good note there. Uh, Some good news before we get into our funny news here. So make sure you stick with us, listeners. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it. Like I said, we got some funny news for you. Our quick hits. We know you love it. So to start us off, we're going to take you back to my well, one of my home states that I've been in, uh, California, California woman who didn't have time to make it to the hospital, uh, gave birth right on her front lawn. Um, it was really cool because she actually got to capture everything on a ring uh, doorbell camera. The name of the lady, her name is Emily Johnson of Vacaville. She said her husband, Michael, they weren't really in a huge rush to get you know to the hospital because their contractions were about 10 you know minutes apart. So... They weren't too worried. Couple only lived about five minutes away from the hospital, but she said that the contractions went from three minutes to two minutes to one minute, and only about you know twenty to thirty minutes. And they were just like, "Oh, we gotta get to the car. We gotta get out of here." Unfortunately, Emily, as she was getting to the car, realized she was not going to make it to the hospital. Uh, those contractions just, I guess. Too quick. I don't really know much about birth, but I guess as they get closer and closer, that means that baby's coming. Uh, emergency responders did arrive, 
but they arrived just after the infant was born. Um, looks like uh, Michael and the mom actually helped to birth the baby. Uh, the birth, like I said, was caught on the Johnson's Ring doorbell camera, so they'll always be able to um, see the birth of their child, Devin. <laughs> That's pretty wild. <laughs> the sign of the times, you got ring doorbells, you know, catching and video recording births of children. Um, I'm telling you, those ring doorbells, they call a lot of things, like from you yeah, know, people like eating your food or dropping it off or people trying to steal your deliveries and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, man, everybody needs a ring doorbell. Yes, everybody does. But congratulations to uh, to Emily and Michael on their uh, new newborn there. And, on their uh, long like baby. Said, on their, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and like you said, they have a memory that will last them forever because it's all caught on camera. So they'll be able to tell him that when he gets, you know, like, Five or six years old, I'd be like, hey, man, look, we got a video of you <laughs> being born. But we'll move on from that to our next story here. We're going we're gonna to go up to New York where firefighters in upstate New York on Friday had to rescue a naked man who was stuck for several days inside the bathroom wall of a theater. Uh, the, Syracuse, the Syracuse Fire Department responded just after 7.30 a.m., uh, to the landmark theater after employees heard someone banging on the wall and yelling for help. Uh, firefighters with rescue, comp- re- with rescue Company 1 drilled a hole in the wall and used a fiber optic camera to find the man's exact exact location in the wall. After determining the best way to extract him, um, they actually had to cut through several layers of drywall and structural clay tile to reach him. Uh, the 39-year-old was not wearing any clothes when firefighters freed him, and they're not entirely sure how he even got there um, in the first place. <laughs> so uh, that probably was an interesting call. And again, that's a mystery. I don't even know how he got there. I'm just not, I'm just, that was a bizarre thing um, as far as how he got there and with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me, um, hopefully I've got some, uh, or rather we've got some listeners who, watch Rick and Morty, but there's a um, there's an episode where they're doing the Interdimensional Cable 2, I think it's the inter- mm. Interdimensional Cable 2 episode, where like one of the little snippets is, how did they get there? It's like a game show host that like just magically puts people in like random places. He put like some lady who was uh, in front of them at a vending machine, transported her magically on top of a light pole. Um, so it was just... I don't know. Maybe he maybe he was a part of some uh, uh, mystery hoax or something like that. To just placed him there, and maybe he was drugged or something. I don't know. Maybe. But <laughs> to take us to another story, this is uh, get us some international news. We always like to have at least one international story per episode. This is a British man is offering an unusual chauffeur service by charging about a thousand dollars to give rides to weddings and other events in his tank taxi. The guy's name is Merlin Bachelor of Norwich, England. Uh, he's doing, like I said, a taxi tank, or rather a tank taxi, which is an uh, armored personnel carrier vehicle, if, you know, in case you don't know what a tank is. It says it cost him about $35,000 to purchase and repair the use for his business. Uh, quote, first I had neighbors, then friends, and friends of friends, and then people I didn't even know asking me if I could take them, uh, mainly asking about proms. Uh, he says he's charged about $1,000 to drive people to weddings and funerals. 
He says that the service offers pure entertainment. As you drive around the street, people are always laughing, smiling, and pointing. Uh, he says the insurance cost on his tank is actually cheaper than his family's Honda Civic. He says he's currently only licensed to carry passengers to weddings and funerals, but he's hoping to get the necessary permits to branch out to doing proms, birthday parties, and other events. So um, this is a nice way to make some money on the side. I guess if you uh, want to invest some money into having a tank, you can you know, have a pretty um, elite and exclusive uh, taxi service. Yeah, I don't know if I'd pay $1,000 for that. I don't you like how <laughs> just think about it. If you were a senior and you and you come up in the prom, you know, in a tank, you know, you know your friends are gonna be I mean, you know, the your friends are gonna be very impressive, you know. Somebody's friends will be. So, somebody may. Hopefully I I'll ride. How about this? I will ride if somebody else pays for it. <laughs> That's how it always was. I'm sure like yeah. it's you think I mean, I don't know if every school does this, but I, I mean been from Mississippi or country, but we did like a, a senior ride around where everybody like decorated their cars yeah. and like, drove around the school. I was like, this would be perfect for that. <laughs> it would yeah. Because everybody has to go to your speed, so you dominate the parade. Yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> uh man, I don't yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't pay for it, but you know, to each his own. He's definitely an entrepreneur. He's got that. He's got that spirit. Uh, we'll move on to our next story here. This is an inspirational one. It's not really funny, but more inspirational. Uh, and the message is: Do what you love at any age. And so, there's an 80 year old Rhode Island man who has achieved the goal he spent two decades working towards and nearly a lifetime thinking about. And that goal was earning his PhD and becoming a physicist. And so Manfred Steiner, who recently defended his dissertation successfully at Brown University in Providence, uh, Steiner cherishes this degree because it, it's, it's what he always wanted and because he overcame health problems that could have derailed his studies. And so at age 70, Mr. Steiner started taking undergraduate classes at Brown, which is one of the Ivy League universities. He was planning to take a few courses that interested him but by 2007, he had accumulated enough credits to enroll in the Ph.D. program. So Steiner defended his dissertation in September after recovering from a serious medical condition. And now Guinness World Records says, although he is not the oldest man, there actually is a 97-year-old man in Germany in 2008. He was the oldest person to earn a doctorate. And so while Mr. Steiner is not the oldest person to ever do it, he still cherishes it as much as anybody. And so his advice is simply this, do what you love to do. And so like I can say it's not funny, but it's definitely inspirational. doesn't matter your age. He's 89 years old and he got his uh, PhD and is now living his dream of being a physicist. So if he can do it, you know, Adrian, maybe any of us can do it, you know, make sure you do, do what you love to do. That's the main message out of that one. It's a positive message. It's, yes. you know, I'm someone who's, I'm, I'm not 89, but I am going back to school <laughs> to you know, get an MBA, get a JD and all these other things. So uh, it's uh, quite the, the accomplishment. Um, guess he's going to finally be able to be called a doctor, um, you know, doctor whoever. Um, but to go to another store, I guess I actually got two international stores because this is, I think this is our, the UK, because it's got mum in the uh, title, and I think they only had people in uh, 
uh, Great Britain say that, but it uh, looks like a mother was left red-faced uh, after finding two frozen turkey dinosaurs locked in an intimate act, and her children immediately asked what they were doing. Mom's name is Elise uh, McKenna. She's 31. She's making dinner for her two kids, uh, Tristan, 11, and 5-year-old Ridley. When uh, the uh, when her partner, Lee, fished the Bernard Matthews turkey dinosaurs out of the freezer, uh, she said that two of them were locked in a passionate embrace, appeared to be, uh, appeared to be having sex. Her kids soon asked what the dinos were doing. Uh, the mom told the kids that the dinosaurs were just cuddling together to keep warm and just laughed it off, uh, just calling it like an embarrassing incident, basically. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I can imagine that, you know, this is something that, you know, probably just a manufacturing error or something like that. I'm sure uh, I, I'm sure the, the uh, Bernard Matthews company, they probably didn't intentionally just like every like hundred dinosaurs, they like fuse a pair of them together to look like they're doing it or something. They're probably not doing that. It's probably just like a little, you know, little production error. <laughs> a little production error. You're right. <laughs> you cleaned it up. <laughs> no, that's funny, though. Uh, kind of embarrassing, but, you know, we'll move on to our, our last quick hit here. Um, and this is all about daylight saving time and the fact that it gets so dark so early. So if you hate daylight saving time, this is this quick hit is for you. And like I say, with this time of year, do you have shorter fall days and Darkness is coming earlier and earlier every day. And so this story here is a bunch of tweets that uh, Yahoo had put together of funny, uh, funny tweets of people tweeting about the fact that it does get dark so early. And so a lot of people hate daylight saving time. Um, I personally don't have a feeling either way, but a lot of people do hate the fact that it does get early uh, dark so early. And so here are a couple of tweets here um, that I thought were kind of funny. So the first one here says, Hello, darkness, my old friend. Why are you here? It's 4 p.m. <laughs> and then uh, the second one here, the second tweet says, quote, I love when it gets dark early because my brain is like samesies. So there's that one, <laughs> which is good. Uh, the other one here says, quote, I like how the sun sets at 11 a.m. now. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, the next one here says, quote, daylight savings, where 7 a.m. is now 6 a.m. and 5 p.m. is now midnight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then the last one here, it says, um, this is kind of funny one. It gets dark early AF now. That's You should know what that means. AF now. Sneaky links can start at 6 p.m. now. If you don't know what a sneaky link is, go Google it and right. then you'll get the joke. <laughs> so if you are doing some sneaky links, you can start a little earlier now since the sun is setting at four o'clock and not seven. So, But that was just kind of a roundup of some funny tweets that we saw about daylight savings time. So if you haven't, please go change your microwave and your stove clocks because I know some of you are probably out there an hour behind trying to do the math every morning. Just go ahead and change the clocks, people. <laughs> so we'll we'll go ahead and, and wrap up our quick kids here we hope you enjoyed it that's probably our favorite segment of the show and we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to wrap this up and let you know what's coming up so stick with this and we'll be right back 
You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we'd like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So first up, today is Saturday. That means our next episode is coming to you on Tuesday. It's going to be coming out on Tuesday, November 16th. And this time we're going to be talking taxation reform. So you may, you may remember we talked a little bit about taxes, more so on a state level, and that featured one voice from Mississippi. But this time we're going to break it up and talk about a broader conversation about taxation reform. And so our guest for that show on Tuesday is Dr. William Gale. He is the co-director of the Tax Policy Center. And we're going to talk with him about how the tax system helps to increase inequality in the country. As you know, um, a lot of people get away with not paying their fair share of taxes. And we're going to talk about some ways that we can fix that, um, not only but, you know, changing the tax code, but actually changing the base. And so we're going to get into all that. It's a great conversation with uh, Dr. Gale, Dr. William Gale. Again, he is the co-director of the Tax Policy Center. And his interview and episode are going to be coming to you on Tuesday, November 16th. So make sure you stick around and get ready for that one. After Dr. Gale's interview, uh, we'll be right back here with you on Saturday to talk, uh, to talk more news <laughs> about and get you caught up on everything. That's going to be weekly roundup number 23, and that's going to be coming to you on Saturday, November the 20th. Again, weekly roundup number 23. We're getting awfully close to the end of the season, but it's going to be the same great news, same great quick hits. So make sure you tune in and hear some news and commentary from me and Adrian as we get closer to the end of the season. And also that'll be our episode before Thanksgiving. So Maybe stick around for some special things. I don't know. There could be some stuff in store. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, before we get out of here, we also want to let you know that you can help us out by donating. And I'm going to pass it off to Adrian. He's going to let you know how you can help us out. Yeah, thanks, Devin. And thank you to uh, you as our listeners for listening to us. Um, but we definitely would love to have some donations you know, this season has been a very, very exciting season for Devin and myself because um, our downloads are growing at a rate faster than season one and two combined. So we're excited to um, say that and put it out into the universe that we're, you know, we're constantly making it happen. But one thing that we are lacking in is patrons, you know, monthly people who are, you know, giving to us, giving to the cause, helping us to grow the Black Agenda podcast into an actual organization that can lobby and champion a lot of these issues that we're learning about and, you know, learning how to reform taxes is one thing, but actually being able to put together a plan to lobby different leaders in Congress, uh, that's something else. And it takes money and different resources to do that. So go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click the donate tab. If you listen to us in the Podbean app, make sure that you click the donate tab right there in front of you. Once you get in there, you're going to see that there's monthly levels that you can donate. And you'll also notice that as you donate, you get things from Devin and myself. You get shout outs, thank yous. You can be on our show. You can even suggest ideas to us. So we would love to have you as a monthly patron. Again, go to our website, blackagendapie.com. Click the donate tab and start giving. 
the other thing that we like to highlight is the fact that um, you know we do a charity of the month just to kind of keep everything friendly and passing it you know to another organization paying it forward. Uh, if you don't know, November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. For the month of November, we have selected the American Diabetes Association. They are made up of a network of 565,000 volunteers, which include 20,000 healthcare professionals um, and administration staff members. Their vision is a life free of diabetes and its burdens. Their mission is to prevent and cure diabetes and to improve the lives of all people affected by the disease. So, Appreciate them doing that because diabetes, as we all know, affects the black community especially. So uh, thank you for you know supporting them and make it like I said, make sure you go support us. That's right. Make sure you support them and us, two great organizations, a podcast and a charity there. We could all use your help. Uh, but for, before we go, we also like to let you know you can't find us on social media. So when we're not podcasting and recording episodes, you can find us there. Um, you can uh, follow us at the Black Agenda Pod. That is our handle. Um, again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find us. Make sure you follow us and share any of the content that you see. Um, also, you can find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And I think we have a catalog of somewhere around 50 videos and interviews, conversations, all great things that you can learn from and get educated on some of the topics that are happening um, or some of the topics that are important in our community. So make sure you check that out again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at black agenda pod, and then YouTube just search the black agenda podcast. And so for me and Adrian, we appreciate you sticking with us. We're going to be back with you on Tuesday to bring you Dr. Gale's interview about taxation reform. So until then, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.